Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Company of the Gut, the show where I talk about different stories from the world of ice and fire along with the real, mythical or fictional events that inspired them. I'm Bloodbeard's Replacement and your host and today's episode, it's gonna be a wild ride so buckle up. We will talk about some pretty weird customs we see in the books and how these are connected with the giants. So if you're interested, let's dive in. What is going on with Skagos is a question often discussed in the fandom. The Skagosi call themselves the Stoneborn because Skagos means stone in the old tongue and they are a huge, hairy, foul-smelling folk. They clad in skins and furs and lantern hides and they ride on unicorns. The Skagosi are the subject of many dark rumors around Westeros. Some believe they still offer human sacrifices to their weirwoods, they lure passing ships to their destruction with false lights, and they eat the flesh of men during winter. Some believe it's just rumors, some say that they aren't, because the Skagosi detached pretty early from the rest of the first men and they still have the more savage ways of the Donate people. To be honest, I believe neither is true, both stories have holes or things that don't fit. First thing, their appearance is completely different from that of the first men. And second, they were not held in high esteem to begin with by the rest of the first men and still aren't. Northerners consider them worse than the Free Folk. Also, yes, first men did sacrifice to the trees, but I don't think that cannibalism was a thing. And if it was, it was only an extreme solution through the long night and really harsh winters. And still it was looked down upon since the religion as first men believe it considers cannibalism a sin. In the Varimir prologue, we learn that the man may eat the flesh of beasts and beast the flesh of man, but the man who eats the flesh of a man is an abomination. Thing is, we do have a tribe that sounds very similar to the Stoneborn. The Herrymen of Essos. The Herrymen was a race of psyche savage warriors who rode to battle on unicorns and they were considered forebearers to the Ibanese. They were much larger than them and we don't know their original name, but we do know that the race was on the central grasslands of Essos, stretching between the forest of Kohor to the Bone Mountains. And that brings us to the city of Adakakileiki. I'm guessing, I am not sure how to pronounce that. The ruined city at the northern edges of the Red Waste in Essos on the northern shore of the Poison Sea. Although we don't know a lot about the inhabitants, in the Dothraki language the name means the cannibals. So we have a cannibal city beside the stone road inside the area that the hairy men rode. All this to me sounds way more like Skagosi than the first men do. In this universe we have the cool unicorns, the goat ones. They are described as grey, saggy, horned beasts, monstrous mounds, so sure-footed they have been known to climb the sides of mountains. Atakakileki sounds like a great place for them to live, since goat-like animals that can climb, for example, mountain goat, Krikri, Markor, Bezoaribex, etc., live in mountainous, rocky and harsh areas, because as I said before, goats are the coolest. You will never be as cool as a goat, but it's okay, I'm okay with that. The next thing we learn about the Skagosi is that many people think of them as part giants. We know about giants and unicorns on it, and about huge stone giants larger than their Westerosi counterparts on the bones. John the Oak was allegedly part giant, and some have suggested that the maze makers of Lorath were born of interbreeding between human men and giant women. In general, we have many stories about interbreeding with giants, with children of the forest, 
Merfolk, even others. And with the help of magic, I would say that, yes, maybe it is possible. Many of the stories about giants involve mazes, unicorns and stone places. And we have all this in both the parts where the Herrymen lived in Essos and Skagos. Although it's not necessary for the Stoneborn to be part giants. They are also linked with people from Eve and Ibanis themselves are described as miniature giants. I think Skagosi, giants and Ibanis were all different species of archaic humans. They have many commonalities with each other but also with the rest of the humans too that are described pretty much as homo sapiens. People from Eve resemble Neanderthals. Skagosi are bigger but pretty close to them. And giants too have traits that are found in human species with the most important being language. They are capable of speaking in the old tongue, they make and use simple stone tools like axes, they have at least semi-domesticated mammoths, and have titles and burial customs. The song Last of the Giants is sung by the free folk, but it is written from the POV of a giant, and the last line sings, I am the last of the giants, so learn well the words of my song, for when I'm gone, the singing will fade and the silence shall last long and long. So they probably had music too, which is another skill we associate with human species. Even did the Herrymen were the same race as the Skagosi, meaning huge, shaggy warriors, it makes sense why we have so many contradictory information about the giants. Oldnan described giants as very large, savage men who mixed blood into their morning porridge and devoured whole boobs. But the first time we saw Wunwun, he was feeling cute covered in fur, while munchkin on his turnips and onions. She said that they lived in colossal castles, fought with huge swords and walked about in woods, but the giants we know, and from what the children of the forest said about them, they made no homes and castles. They lived in caverns or beneath tall trees, and they didn't make garments or work metal or fields. All the stories of old Nan and other stories from all Westeros are describing Skagosi, not the giants we know. And the biggest clue, I think, is the fact that Wungun is vegetarian. Giants are huge and have square teeth. Square teeth are mostly found in plant-eating animals, and considering meat, it's much easier to find north. If they could eat it, they would. Plus, herbivores get energy directly from the source, which allows them to become bigger than carnivores or omnivores. It is very costly to be a big hunter, it requires a lot of movement, a lot of, a lot of time and even tools and weapons to take down big prey and that adds cost in terms of energy and maintenance. Where the first man truly first is a question asked by the maesters in the world book and I would say that no, I think they were not. Giants of course were already there, but also the hairy men like the people from Eve were great navigators. We are told that the heart of the Severing Sea, where every rock and wave is ruled by the hairy men. This makes reaching and settling in Skagos pretty easy, since they already had settlements in Lorath. Even the not-so-big but big enough bones in Lorath could be from them. We don't know exactly the architecture in Skagos, since outsiders don't go there, but the name deep down for a castle is very reminiscent of the huge underground mazes in Lorath and northern Essos. Both places we know hairy men used to live. The stories about giants are all over Westeros, so is there a possibility they were living all over Westeros at some point? Skagos is a great place for the goats and all, but it's not the best place for humans to live and also, hairy men are described as nomads, so they were moving around 
kinda like the Dothraki. After all this information, let's have a look at a very popular song around Westeros that is also part of a pattern and reflects the relationships between several characters in our current timeline. The Bear and the Maiden Fair. A bear there was, a bear, a bear, all black and brown and covered with hair, the bear, the bear. O come, they said, O come to the fair, the fair said he, but I am a bear, all black and brown and covered with hair. And down the road, from here to there, from here to there, three boys, a goat and a dancing bear. They danced and spun all the way to the fair, the fair, the fair. O sweet she was, and pure and fair, the maid with honey in her hair, her hair, her hair, the maid with honey in her hair. The bear smelled the scent on the summer air, the bear, the bear, all black and brown and covered with hair. He smelled the scent on the summer air, he sniffed and roared and smelled it there, honey on the summer air. Oh, I am a maid, I'm pure and fair, I'll never dance with a hairy bear, a bear, a bear, I'll never dance with a hairy bear. The bear, the bear, lifted her high into the air, the bear, the bear. I called for a night, but you are a bear, all black and brown and covered with hair. She kicked and wailed the maid so fair, but he licked the honey from her hair, her hair, her hair, he licked the honey from her hair. Then she sighed and squealed and kicked the air, my bear, she sang, my bear so fair. And off they went from here to there, the bear, the bear, and the maiden fair. So what do we get from the story except that the song is about oral? We have three boys and a bear, and from the main timeline, the characters representing the bear of the respective stories are Brienne, the Hound, Jorah, and Gendry, who are all really big, intimidating, rough around the edges and broody. But they are not bad people and can be big softies and protective. Thus, the bear in this story was a big, rugged dude that the rest of the people wouldn't want at the fair for some reason. The three boys in our story, though, didn't have a problem with him and they told him that it's okay to go with them. We see them on the road having fun, the three boys, the bear and the goat. It's kinda weird to point out that a goat was with them, unless the goat was an important part of the story and adds to it. And it would add if the goat was a unicorn. It was three boys, a stoneboard guy, who I'm guessing was around their age, and his unicorn. And they went to the fair all together. When he arrived at the fair, he saw a girl he really liked and went for it. She wasn't impressed at first, but he wasn't a nice guy TM, but a genuinely good person apparently, and also he had good game, so she started to like him back and go together. I believe the part in the end didn't happen at the fair. Stealing the girl that you like and want to marry is a custom above the wall and the woman is expected to fight back even if she wants the guy. It is believed that a true man will steal a woman from afar to make the clan stronger since women who wed brothers, fathers or clan kin are believed to offend the gods and are cursed with weak and sickly children. We are told that in marriage free folk men are expected to be forceful with women, going as far as stealing them from their home or clan. But we haven't seen them do it with random women. They do it only with women they know and are already accustomed with. Munda was having the time of her life with Longspear, but she did beat him to a pulp when she went to steal her. He went to stay here. And Ygritte didn't want the guy in the end because he didn't find well and couldn't stay here. This practice is not a first man practice, the northerners don't have it, they don't talk about it, and the Andals didn't write anything. They only wrote in their script about the first night, and I assume they would find this whole thing mentioned worthy, 
if it was common. We have seen this only above the wall, but we do have many stories of giants stealing maidens around Westeros and heroes trying to rescue them back from their castles. So I'm guessing the practice was an Ascagosi one. Our guy met the girl at the fair, he liked her and stole her, and apparently she liked him back. And after that they were moving together around, because as I mentioned before, it looks like the Stoneborn were nomads. And dude, obviously they were. Goats eat whatever and they can leave an area bare in minutes, and these specific goats are described as huge. We see that the Harrymen were not very well liked in Essos, and the Stoneborn were not very well liked in Westeros either, and still aren't. And it's not that weird, because stealing their wife is not the only custom we get about them that is very different to most cultures around Planetos. We know that they were eating bulls whole and uncooked, but also human flesh. Both practices are very different and were frowned upon by the majority of known cultures. First about cannibalism. How extreme is it really if we take in the whole picture? Herrymen were an ancient group of people and the Skagosi were at least 10 with 12 years ago in Westeros and maybe even earlier. So we are talking about the Late Stone Age, Early Bronze Era, the Chalcolithic Age of Planetos. The tools and the materials used along with the fact that the first men started agriculture when they were already in Westeros hints to that. In our world at the time, there are indications that humans were practicing cannibalism and some studies even suggest that it was quite common. But even if we ignore Stone Age cannibalism, since we are not sure and anthropologists, biologists, historians and scientists seem to disagree on the matter a lot, there were many tribes around the world that did practice ritualistic cannibalism. It was a cultural norm. The consumption of a person from within the tribe is called endocannibalism and most often was part of the grieving process. It was seen as a way of guiding the souls of the dead into the bodies of their descendants. The consumption of a person from outside the tribe is exocannibalism, and it was mainly a way of celebrating the victory against the rival tribe. In both types, though, there was the belief that consumption of a person's flesh, blood or internal organs will endow the cannibal with some of the characteristics, abilities and memories of the deceased. Obviously, in the real world, and in the novels, it is looked down upon and it's not socially acceptable by the majority. And I can understand why. That being said, many of the people from tribes that had customs like this in our world were seen as the savages in all aspects of their lives and no better than beasts, which is not true. It was an idea spread mostly by colonists. During the expedition centuries, imperialist nations used these stories to fuel the idea that these people were inferior and tried to justify their presence in that part of the world. They decided that the natives couldn't manage themselves without oversight and religion. And yes, cannibalism, especially exocannibalism, is a gruesome custom. I read some really messed up stuff. But that doesn't mean that they were like that in their everyday life. The practice is very ritualistic. It was not Friday and they tried to decide between a rabbit and a neighbor. All religions since the dawn of humanity have some weird-ass tenets, to say the least. These were not the only ones. So I'm not 100% sure how savage and terrible the hairy men were in general. 
Skagosi are described similar to Lestrigonus, big aggressive cannibals that are apart from other people living on a rocky island and destroying outside their ships before they eat them. From the story about Skane, we see they were practicing exocannibalism. Skane is said to have been raided by the Skagosi in what is known as the Feast of Skane, where they took women and children as slaves and ate the men. We don't know about endocannibalism, but considering the majority of tribes that practice cannibalism only partook in one of these two types, and not both, I am guessing they didn't. Through cannibalism, people believe that the cannibal gained the abilities of the people they consumed. In some places such as Melancia, for example, consumption of human flesh was not viewed as a taboo, but instead was viewed as an act of dining with the gods or dining on the food of the gods. And that brings us to the weirwoods. The trees are the gods for the worshippers, and we know they did blood sacrifices to them. Furthermore, in Brand's cave, the roots were in, around, and through the skulls there. So at some point, they were in, around, and through the bodies. The corpses and the blood are the foods of the gods. And although we may associate the old gods with weirwoods more than anything, they are not only that, they are the gods of stream, forest, and stone. One of the chapters we have a teaser from The Winds of Winters is the Ariane chapters, and in this chapter we have this instance. And all at once she found herself in a cavern, five times as big as the last one, surrounded by a forest of stone columns. Damon Sand moved to her side and raised his torch. Look how the stone's been saved, he said. These columns and the wall there, see them? Faces, said Ariane, so many sad eyes, staring. This description is almost identical to the weirwoods, it is even compared to a forest, and in the same chapter we have a description of the trees in the forest above them, their great trunks as gnarled and twisted as an old man's face, with beards of silvery moss. Faces again, not carved, but still they look like old men staring at them. We don't know what the hairy men believed while they lived in Essos, but now in Westeros the name Skagosi means stoneborn so I don't think the religion was that far off. They were in contact with the Ibanese, the woodworkers and the giants, if we take a look at the maps, and the places they rode and stayed were close to these people. Maybe they had a similar religion in Essos, so the worshipping didn't change much, and they continued the same practices. In a magical universe, by consuming living things you may gain powers and abilities, especially if the consumed creature is magical. The Jojen paste theory is very popular in the fandom, and to be honest, I also think that Food Jojen was eaten by Bran. I am not gonna get into it very much, because there are already great videos explaining this. The thing is, if indeed the paste was Jojen, was it necessary only for Bran or in general? Bloodraven explains how green sears work, and Bran doesn't fit in the description all that well. Those who call the children of the forest have eyes as golden as the sun, but once in a great while, one is born amongst them with eyes as red as blood or green as the moss on a tree in the heart of the forest. By this sign do the gods mark those they have chosen to receive the gift. The chosen ones are not robust and their quick years upon the earth are few, for every song must have its balance. But once inside the wood they linger long indeed, a thousand eyes, a hundred skins, wisdom deep as the root of ancient trees, green seers. Bran was healthy when he was born, and even after the fall, he isn't exactly sickly or in constant danger, he just has a kinetic disability. He also didn't have visions or dreams before the fall, and unlike Jojen, his eyes are a normal blue. Brynden saw he was active on the chat when he was in a coma and went to visit him. 
In general, we see that most of the characters have prophetic dreams and visions when they are asleep, and even more when they have a fever, are in great stress, are tired, in pain, or in a coma. Aaron and Pats also started to have visions about the future after their near-death experience. Actually, these two probably died, but anyway, this is another thing. Brand's wolf dreams aren't exactly prophetic, they look like it's about the present, mostly. Jodens not only are about the future, but he is also very good at understanding them and are very, very accurate to the point that he knew when and how he would die. Brynden also fits the bill. He has red eyes, is a skin changer and has albinism. Most people with albinism live a normal lifespan, but there are types like HPS and CHS that can decrease the lifespan due to lung, kidney or bowel diseases and immune or neurological issues, respectively. We don't know what type he has, but the possibility of having a more serious type that can cause way more serious health issues is there. Jojen has everything, minus the skin-changing ability. He has the gift of prophecy, is sickly and his eyes are an unnatural deep green. But the skin-changing ability is very important for that job. You need to be able to move your spirit and conscience to be able to be in and out of the tree. It's another thing to read and see the past or the present. The future, on the other hand, has to be more difficult to see, since you need to interpret the vision correctly too. Yes, time for the trees is different, but I think the trees are the media. Kinda like Mel uses the flames to see, green seers use the weirwoods. If this is the case, Bran needed a boost in this department, and that's why they fed him Jorgens, since he had everything that Bran lacked. Was this one-time thing, or is it the only way? Like, you need to pass the powers of a dreamer in a skin changer every time? To be honest, I have no idea about this, but I lean towards the first. It seems like the children had more than one green seer available at the time, but now they are in a very difficult position. Blood Raven is dying, the long night is coming, and they don't have many choices. Their best shot was to fuse Bran and Jodzen, possibly because they don't have the time to teach him or wait for him to learn. The children at this point of the story don't have a problem with it because I don't think that the meat Bran is eating in the caves is squirrel or whatever animal they say that it is. Because poor Summer can't find anything in the area to eat except for the dead above them. But is this normal? I am not sure about it. They sure did sacrifices, so maybe they also practiced cannibalism if they needed to do something important. Maybe the first men and other people around Planetos didn't practice cannibalism, but they sure had similar practices using animal blood or parts, and the reason I think is the same, they absorbed the abilities. Dothraki believed that consuming the raw heart of a stallion during pregnancy will make a calzone strong, swift and fearless, but only if the mother can eat the entire heart. And in general, they believe horseless makes a man strong. Now they aren't the biggest fan of magic, but we don't know whether it was always like that. The Andals in Westeros didn't like magic and slavery, but in Essos they sure meddled with both. We have the story of Bors the Breaker, son of Garth Greenhand and founder of House Bulwer, and according to legend he gained the strength of 20 men by drinking only bull's blood. He drank so much blood that he grew a pair of shiny black horns. Some said that two men came to Hornhill, warlocks from Karth, with white skin and blue lips, and they slaughtered the bull Aurochs and made him bathe in the hot blood. But it didn't make him brave as they promised. 
So something is going on. There are blood magic spells that can give you the attributes of the consumed being, but they are largely forgotten since I doubt that just eating them or bathing in their blood did the trick. Maybe the Stoneborn were practicing cannibalism from time to time. I don't think they did it all the time though, but I do believe that they did it with bulls quite a lot. In Old Dan's tales, giants mixed blood into their morning forage and devoured old bulls. Bulls are strong, muscular, aggressive, wild, stubborn and ferocious, which fits very, very well with the description we have about the Skagosi and the description of the giants in many Indo-European mythologies, like the Greek Gigades or the Jotuns. Giants were pretty often, not always, described as strong and aggressive, but not necessarily huge. Actually, we have little information about them being huge in size, so another clue that hints the giant stories we have are not about the actual giants like Wunwun. One of the most known bulls is the Minotaur, a mythical creature with the head and tail of a bull and the body of a man. He lived at the center of a labyrinth, which was an elaborate maze-like construction. In Greek, he had the name Asterios, a name that he shared with one of the giants from the ancient Greek myths. As, as I said, Somewhere at the beginning, giants in our story are connected with mazes and unicorns quite a lot. And in Skagos, we even have a castle that it's called Deep Down, a name that personally reminds me the mazes in Lorath, but also in Karth and Leng, two other ancient places with an unknown past. Karth claims to be the birthplace of civilization, is the last city of the Kathi people who rose in the grasslands of central Essos known today as the Dothraki Sea, and founded city-states as they moved southeast following defeat in wars against the Sarnori. That doesn't make sense for two reasons. First, Sarnori are not Dawn Age people. Yes, they were pretty old, but not that old. We already had other civilizations. And second, the House of the Undying looks ancient and older than time, but it doesn't fit the building style of the Cathy. The Cathy cities, we have seen, Karth included, have a very different architecture than that of the House of the Undying. They are lighter in color, very elaborate and ornamental, with jewels, drawings, fountains, mountain constructions, uh, ma mountain construction, what? Marble constructions and metallic details. Same with Vaistoloro, and even though it's ruined, it has light color buildings, great gardens and fountains. Vaisirosi and Vaisorvik are similar to Vaistoloro, just smaller. So, the place where the House of the Undying is today may be the birthplace of civilization, but the Cathy people for sure were not the ones that built it. Karth is straight south of the cannibal city. We are told the hairy men of Essos were great navigators, so having a settlement in Karth close to the Summer and Jade Sea makes total sense. The more you go back in time, the more similar custom, myths and religions were. Even did the Stoneborn were another human species, they were probably spread in a large part of Essos and not only one place. They were hunter-gatherer nomads, but that doesn't mean they couldn't have religious places. Because this is exactly what the mazes are. The description we have about Karth, Lorath, all the crypts and deep caves in Westeros, the mazes in Leng, is about places where you come in contact with something powerful, you go closer to the gods, you are seeing the truth. I really hope you cannot hear whatever is happening in the background, because I swear to God, everyone, like everyone in the city is outside of my house and they are making noise. Anyway, Skagosi means stoneborn in the old tongue. 
In real life, the word giants come from the Greek word gigades, which means earthborn. These people were making huge stone constructions inside the earth where they believed their gods were. In Westeros, we do have some constructions that suggest they were there before the first men. The first one being the underground mazes in Battle Isle, which even maesters point out are ancient and exceptionally similar to the labyrinths in Lorath. It was 12 covered courts, six in a row, facing north, six south, the gates of the range exactly fronting the gates of the other. Inside the building is two of the stories and contains 3,000 rooms, of which half are underground, and the other half directly above them. I was taken through the rooms in the upper story, so what I shall say of them is from my own observation. But the underground ones I can speak of only from report because the Egyptians in charge refused to let me see them as they contain the tombs of the kings who built the labyrinths and also the tombs of the sacred crocodiles. The upper rooms, on the contrary, I did actually see and it is hard to believe that they are the work of men. The bufflet and intricate passages from room to room, from court to court, were an endless wonder to me. As we passed from country yard into rooms, from rooms into galleries, from galleries into more rooms and thence into yet more country yards, the roof of every chamber, country yard and gallery like, is like the walls of stone. This part may sound similar to the mazes in Karth or even Loras, but is the description of a building complex in Egypt near the place called the City of Crocodiles, as described by Herodotus in Histories 2. Anyway, here the labyrinths were tombs and this is probably the case in the novels too. The caves the children of the forest dwelled in are the natural equivalent of these mazes. There are also various catacombs like the crypts of Winterfell that are maze-like underground places where they put the dead magical kings. The base and underground parts of the wall along with the night forts could also be made by the stoneborn or at least helped. The abandoned night fort has broken towers and a maze of tunnels connecting its vault and tunnels. We have seen from John's, Sam's and Bran's chapters that the base and underground of the wall is very complex, really really old, made of stone and very very deep. Legends claim that spells are woven in the, in the base of the wall and that giants help with the building. But the biggest similarity is probably the Black Gate. The magical Black Gate is a hidden subterranean gate that allows passage from one side of the wall to the other and is as old as the wall itself. It is set deep in a wall of the well at the center of the kitchens and is made of white weirwood with a face on it. The face is old, pale, shrunken and wrinkled with white eyes. To grant you passage, the door slips open wider and wider and wider until nothing remains but a great gaping mouth in a ring of wrinkles. When they reach the door, a tall oval mouth set in a wall fashioned in the likeness of a human face. This isn't the Black Gate. This is the door in the House of the Undying and it's the same concept, although it doesn't talk. But we don't know if indeed at some point was talking and drinking the shade was not necessary because the door could control who could pass and who couldn't. Stoneborn were all over Westeros, but like other archaic humans in our world, they disappeared. Small population size, inbreeding, competitive replacement, assimilation, Great climatic changes, diseases, or most likely a combination of all these factors can lead to extinction of a species. And in the books, all these reasons are valid, and probably the case too. In Lorath, there were some very small settlements until the Andals took the isle, but the maze makers vanished because of an enemy from the sea. 
In Westeros, the first men came and started to push them up, but also interbred with them. This is where the custom of stealing a wife began. The inbreeding for sure didn't help, so they started to steal women from the first men. Many of them started to go north along with the rest of the first men that wanted to keep their hunter-gatherer alive, and this is how the Free Folk was born. They weren't farmers, they didn't want to split the land, the land belongs to everyone, this is what the Free Folk are saying. Others followed the lifestyle of the first men, like Bors the Breaker and the legendary Clarence Crab, the 8 feet tall and strong hero from Cracklow Point, who was strong, hairy and so heavy that only an aurochs could carry him or the huge boisterous and hairy umbers. This is why we see many construction with both styles of architecture, like Nightford and Winterfell. The rest took their unicorns and went to Skagos, the lonely, harsh rocky island that nobody wanted. And this is why the wildlings, even though not liked by the rest of Westerosi, are more respected than the Skagosi. The Feast of Skane, I think, along with the plunderings they did in other places in the north was because they were kind of desperate. They needed people outside of the island, so they took the women and the children and the men were eaten in a ritual. Maybe something similar happened to the people in the cannibal city in Essos. They too were on the verge of extinction, so they resorted to cannibalism, creating a reputation that's still following them. Uh, this is for today's episode. I hope, I don't hope, I know that I will not be able to remove all that noise in the background. People are screaming, motorbikes are passing, but I really needed to record this. So yeah, this is all for today's episode. It came out way bigger than I expected, so I really hope it wasn't boring or tiring. Leave your own theories and thoughts about the episode and whatever else you want to talk about. If you stuck till the end of the episode, thank you very, very much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then tune in for the next one that I will talk about the Valyrian chants and songs we saw in the House of the Dragon.